Is your Bibles again? Let's turn to First Kings chapter eighteen. First Kings eighteen. First Kings eighteen. Let's just read one verse again. The verse number forty-one. have the word of God here, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Let's bow together, please, in prayer. Eternal God and Father, we look to Thee again for wisdom, for the wisdom to properly preach and apply the word of God. We pray, dear Father, again for the ability to come under a proper understanding of your word, and not to insert our thoughts into your word. Give us grace to this end. Help us, O Lord, even to be careful as to prior thoughts and understanding, that we did scrutinize even those past thoughts in light of the word of God. Give us the grace, O Lord, to come always humbly before your word, Bless the congregation there in Walnut Port. May they also help know the help of God as they would consider your word today. May our hearts even in this remote fashion be knit together. May we all be encouraged in your will and to walk in your ways. Help us, O Lord, in physical infirmities. In tiredness and weakness, give strength to God in the hearing and in the preaching of the word of God. May we know your power. May it be our joy and delight today to labor under the power of God, to receive the word under the power of God, and that we'd all be able to leave here acknowledging that you spoke to our hearts today. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. We long for God's blessing. I hope. I hope you live day by day continually aware of your need for God to bless you, to favor you. We're considering that very thought today, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. It is a text that points us towards the blessing of God. We want that blessing. We want day by day to enjoy the Lord and his gifts and his graces In church life, we want to enjoy God, to rejoice in our worship, and yes, to know his blessing upon the work in terms of souls coming to faith in Christ Jesus. We understand these things as tokens of God's favor and blessings that come from the Lord. We we long for this. We long for it. But today, before we get into anything else, I want to encourage you to consider this text with caution, with caution. This text is often preached in terms of revival, a desire for the abundance of God's blessing to be poured upon his church. And here I think it's important that before we say anything else, you approach that theme with a degree of caution. The absence of an abundance does not mean the absence of blessing. 
I think as a people that believe in revival, we sometimes forget that. We presume that unless we're living in the height of revival, then we're not enjoying the blessing of God. That is not a helpful way to understand this passage, nor is it a biblical way to understand this passage. God's blessings come in measure. They come according to His sovereign will, and they often come in ways that we do not perceive. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And so as we live and exist in the year 2023, conscious that we're not seeing, if you like, a, a, a flooding in of souls under the word of God, we may falsely presume that therefore we are not enjoying the blessing of God. The people of God do not live one day outside of God's blessing. You've got to remember that. And though the way is hard at these day, in these days, and though we find ourselves as a, as a church, as a small remnant in a dark place, yet that does not mean that we're not enjoying God's blessing. However, the text does point us to principles regarding how God chooses to bless and how he has blessed already and how he may bless in the future according to his will. And so I want to notice today really the strength of Elijah's faith in the blessing of God. He is strong in faith. He's, he's got great confidence in God's coming blessing. And this morning, we're going to look at this in a general sense. And this afternoon, we're going to stay in this passage and examine something of Elijah's prayer life in light of this blessing. I thought it's a a very suitable passage to consider as we come to pray this afternoon. So let's note, first of all, please, under this idea of reign as the blessing of God, please note, first of all, the blessing of God is approaching. Verse number 41 Elijah says to Ahab, there is a sound of abundance of rain. Elijah recognizes the blessing of God is coming when no one else does. Verse number 41, I hear young people, you're going to be blown away with this. Verse 41 comes before verse 44. It does. But please note that is particularly spectacular. Because in verse 41, Elijah says, there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now here I'm going to borrow from my brother, Reverend Jeff Bannister. Tuesday morning, we were singing again in our prayer time, hymns about showers of blessing. We sang the hymn we just sang. And I thought to myself, I wonder what you're going to preach on today. And sure enough, Brother Bannister tells all, please turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. An all-wonderful preparation for the Lord's Day morning. And so I listened to our brother Bannister preach on showers of blessing and the sound of abundance of rain. Now, 
I have to say, we agreed, okay? So my sermon didn't change very much. I'd already done a lot of preparation before Tuesday morning, but he helped me in some ways. And one way was this. And it's just a turn of phrase he used. And it was when Elijah says, there is a sound of abundance of rain, and I quote, there was not a cloud in the sky. We, we know that because verse 41 comes before verse 44. And it's only in verse 44 that on the seventh time the servant comes, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand, which means before that there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And young people, where does rain come from? It comes from the clouds. No clouds, no rain. And yet Elijah comes and says to Ahab, there is a sign of abundance of rain. Now, I'm going to look at that more later on. But for now, I want to simply point out that Elijah's words are an indication that the blessing of God is approaching. It's on the horizon. Beyond the horizon, if you like. Beyond sight, but it's almost certainly coming. It is certainly coming in the purpose of God. Now, that thought should understand or should be understood in our minds that rain and the coming of rain is synonymous with the blessing of God. Now, I hinted at this last week, but now I want to look in some more detail on this matter. Rain in the Bible is often synonymous with God's blessing and God's favor. That is true in the physical realm. Again, that's true in the realm of common grace. God's kindness is seen to the ungodly in that he gives the sun and the rain to fall and to shine upon the just and the unjust. And in Luke chapter 6, that's described as God's kindness. So rain, again, without that being a, a saving grace, rain is a mark of God's favor. I often say, please don't complain when it rains. And we all do it. I do it as well. But rain is a mark of God's blessing upon the ground and upon humanity. But not only is that true in a general sense, the physical rain was a mark of God's favor in a covenantal sense to Israel. You turn back, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We've been here before in this series, but I want you to notice again, Deuteronomy chapter 11. In the language of the Old Covenant, there are times and occasions where God draws together the presence or the absence of rain in light of obedience or disobedience. You have it in Leviticus chapter 26 that if they obey, God will give them rain in due season and the land shall increase or yield or increase. But here in Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse number 17, we saw this in light of God's judgment when Ahab sins. That if they are deceived and serve other gods, verse 16, and worship other gods, then verse 17, then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you. And how do we know that? He shut up the heaven that there be no rain. So the absence of rain is a mark of being under the curse and the frown and the wrath of God. But in verse number 14, if they obey and love God and serve him, then verse 14, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. 
the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And there were these, there were these two rains in that region. An early rain at springtime, a later rain towards the fall. And these were used, uh, if you like, to, to sow the seed and also in terms of the harvest. And God has promised to give the rains part of his blessing. No rain. You're under the frown of God. When you have rain, it's a mark of God's blessing in, in old covenant terms, in terms of their obedience. But beyond that, we're not going to see 1 Kings 18 in terms of physical rain. Again, we're not a theocracy. We're not living as a nation under a God in the sense that Israel did. And the old covenant promises of rain and harvest uh, do not apply directly to the church of God. There are indirect applications, but not directly in the same way they were for Israel. We have a spiritual application of these truths. I prayed at the beginning that I don't want to insert my thoughts into the Bible. I want to make sure that we come to the Word of God each and every Lord's Day, that what we see in the Word of God is drawn out from the Word of God. And so if I'm saying that there's a spiritual application from the sound of rain, that spiritual application must itself be proven in the Word of God. I can't simply say that because it's convenient. It'd be nice, but it's not helpful to you. And it does not grind your faith in the Word of God with confidence. And so you've got to see this in the Word. And so what I want to show you today is that the use of rain is used by God himself as a picture of gospel spiritual blessings. Turn first, please, to Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44 and the opening eight verses. Isaiah 44, and the opening eight verses, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen, Thus saith the Lord that made thee, and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thy Jeshurun whom I have chosen. And here's the text. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses. One shall say, I am the Lord's. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord. And surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. And you can continue on down to the end of verse number 8. But please note. This promise of water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground is found in the context of the evangelical portion of Isaiah's prophecy. Chapters 1 to 39, judgment upon the nation. Chapters 40 to 66, the blessing of God, particularly in connection with the coming suffering servant. So the section of Isaiah is pointing our minds to the fact that the servant of Jehovah shall come, shall suffer, that's our communion series, shall suffer under the judgment of God, but in so doing will secure an everlasting covenant that all who trust in him shall indeed be justified. 
and know peace with God and the blessing of God. That blessing is seen ultimately in the latter chapters in terms akin to the new heavens and the new earth. But here in the earlier section, we have this promise of renewal upon those that are thirsty. And what's he say in verse number three? I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And what's the outcome of that? Verse number five. Profession of faith in Jehovah. They shall say, I am the Lord's. They shall subscribe with their hands unto the Lord. They will make public, solemn professions. I belong to Jehovah. He is my Lord and my God. They're not halting between two opinions by the Spirit of God. They are naming the name of God as their Lord and their God. And what's that like? It's like water upon him that is thirsty. And floods upon the dry ground. The coming of rain in the spiritual application of that is the gathering of souls into the kingdom to name God as the Lord God of heaven and earth. Spiritual application of the picture of coming rain. The same is also true, although it is more difficult, over in Ezekiel chapter 34. And here is a section that is often referred to in the hymns that we sing even regarding revival, there shall be showers of blessing. And so you have it here, Ezekiel chapter 34, and the verse number 25. And I will make with them a covenant of peace, and will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land, and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing. And I will cause the shower to come down in a season. There shall be showers of blessing. And then it continues in terms of the, the pictures of this blessedness. Now here, I, I grant this is a difficult passage. And there are many who will look at this section and see it referring to the coming blessedness of the reign of Christ. If you're a, of a premillennial decision, that reign may be seen in terms of an earthly reign of Jesus on this earth. Others may see it in terms of a coming new heavens and a new earth, the future final state. There are various views, uh, even within our own uh, denomination and congregation. But leaving that aside, verse number 12, 25 refers to a single covenant of peace. The covenant that we see here must be the covenant that Christ has sealed with his blood. The everlasting covenant because it is the only covenant that reconciles man to God. You think of Ephesians chapter 2. The Gentiles are apart from God, without God and without hope in the world. They are strangers to the covenants of promise. But they're brought nigh, they're made nigh by the blood of Christ and they're brought into a place of peace with God. And Christ comes and preaches what? Peace to those afar off. And so this covenant of peace must refer to the covenant that Christ has sealed with his blood. You see, look back at verse number 11. It says there, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered. We, we see that in Christ's coming, don't we? 
He goes to the lost sheep of Israel. And so at least in part, this is pointing to Christ's first coming. And bringing together those whom he has chosen and loved. And then he goes to those sheep which are not of his fold. Them I must also bring, John chapter 10. And there's this ingathering of Gentiles into the fold of God in this covenant of peace. Now, I, I grant your heads are spinning probably. I've put so many different concepts into that last five minutes, but I'm simply trying to prove today that the showers of blessing, at least in part, are fulfilled as Christ comes as the reign in the gospel age. The shepherd, that one shepherd of David, verse number 23, I will set up one shepherd over them. And that interpretation, of course, it ties in well with Jeremiah's prophecies, where there's a new covenant made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, that that covenant that is fulfilled even today in the words of Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10. So to see this only as referring to national Israel in some future day, I think does not do justice to the gospel nature of Ezekiel chapter 34. Granted, there are some difficulties, but the language of metaphor being used for blessing here indicates the spiritual application of the promise of rain. The gospel comes as rain and souls are saved. That's the promise of God in his covenant of peace. And so we see this consistently. Again, you turn across to Hosea chapter 6. There's one last reference for this. Hosea chapter 6. Again, this is the language again of, of, of covenantal promises to an impendent people. Hosea chapter 6. Come and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He is smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. And the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. And he shall come unto us as the rain. As the latter and former rain upon the earth. The coming of Messiah is compared to the rains that were promised in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Both rains, the early rains and the latter rains. You obey physically Israel. You'll have these rains. Who is the Israel of God? Christ is the ultimate Israel of God. The Prince of God. The ultimate Son of God. Christ comes and he obeys in perfection. And it's like rain coming upon the earth. The blessing of God being likened to the abundance of rain. Of course, we see also James use that same language referring to Christ's second coming. James chapter 5, we're told to be patient thereof unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Again, Christ's first and second coming being compared to the rains upon the earth. You see, God has in his promises used language of rain to denote his blessing. And so as Elijah says to Ahab, there is a sound of abundance of rain 
It acts like a note of hope for all Israel in those days. That a time will come when Christ will come upon the earth as the sound of abundance of rain. You see, if rain equals the blessing of God and Christ equals that rain, then the blessing we thirst for is an abundance of Christ's presence. That's our desire for blessing. More of Christ in my life, more of Christ in my home, more of Christ in his church. And of course, that promise comes in the giving of the Spirit of God. Turn to John chapter 14, please, finally, in this section. John 14. You see, if Christ comes as rain upon the earth, then do we have any hope and expectation of continued blessing? Well, John 14, verse 16, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Well, who, who's coming? The Spirit of God? Or the Son of God? Well, in a very real sense, both persons of God had come in this blessing. Christ comes in the presence of the Spirit of God, such as the unity of the triune God. And we have communion, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in the gospel. But here the Lord is promising the promise of the Spirit. Surely reflecting the words we saw in Isaiah 44, I will pour water upon men who is thirsty. I will pour my Spirit upon thy seeds. And so this rain, it's Christ coming. And then it's the Spirit coming as Christ comes in the Spirit upon the New Testament church. The blessing is coming. Christ has come. You see, here's why I want you to understand this. We as a denomination, we avow to pray for revival. We have determined as a denomination that it's important for people to pray for revival. But I said at the start, and I said again, the absence of an abundance in this sense does not mean the absence of God's blessing. Dear child of God, you are already in the midst of new covenant blessing. You're already sitting under the rain. Already it is your joy and your portion. Christ has come. The Spirit is upon the church. The abundance has come because Christ has come. And so as we pray for revival, we are praying, if you like, in light of what has already come, not in anticipation of something altogether new. We have the blessing of God. We are asking for more of God's blessing. In the sense that we understand we love the Lord, but we want to love the Lord more. We have the Spirit of God, but we want a deeper sense of His presence. We see souls converted in ones and twos. We want to see more souls converted in more than ones and twos. That's the sense. We do know God's blessing, dear child of God. You're not under the curse of God. There is therefore now no condemnation, no curse upon those who know the Lord 
only blessing. And so enjoy the blessing of God. Because the approaching blessing came in the person of Christ Jesus. The abundance of rain has come. But secondly, please note, the blessing that is approaching is a blessing of God that is appropriate. You see, Elijah's certainty indicates his understanding that because the fire has fallen, blessing can now follow. He understands this. I said again, his statement in verse 41, for there is a sign of abundance of rain. That statement is a statement of profound faith. But faith that is grounded upon the revelation of God. Just turn back to 1 Kings chapter 8, please. A few pages in your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 8. Remember Elijah follows on after Solomon. You've Solomon, you've got the division, you've got all these kings, you've Ahab, and then comes Elijah. But in the purpose of God, in the, uh, the dedication of the temple, you have the words of Solomon in prayer. Verse number 35. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee, if they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou afflictest them, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give rain upon thy land, which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. The place is paramount. They are to pray towards the temple in the confession of their sins. And when heaven is shut up because they have sinned, if they pray towards the temple and confess their sins, the promise of God is certain that he will give them their reign upon the land. The temple, the place of sacrifice, the place where the blood is shed for atonement. And so in typical fashion, when you have in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah deliberately erecting the altar again, rebuilding the altar that was torn down. He's building that altar. He's putting a sacrifice upon the altar and the fire of God descends upon the altar. Then the only thing to happen next is the rain. God is satisfied as just as you like in this picture sense. Then the rain will follow. Why does the Spirit descend upon Pentecost? Because Christ has hung upon the tree, taking the curse for his people, dying in their room instead, thereby in his obedience, securing the promised blessing, the Spirit of God. In your free time, read Acts chapter 2 again. Because Christ has died and risen again and ascended, the Spirit as the rain will certainly fall. You know, even in the Pentecost feast in the Old Testament. There is a presence of a sacrifice. You know the story. Leviticus chapter 23. You have the need to celebrate the Passover. Boys and girls, Passover. Egypt, blood upon the doorposts, the lintels. Death passing over those that were covered by the bloods. The unleavened bread. The feast and the lamb sacrifice in the family 
All of this was to be celebrated. Then 50 days later, Pentecost was celebrated to mark the harvest. The harvest that comes, why? Because they put in the seeds. And God sends the rain. And the blessing comes down. Harvest follows Passover. And Pentecost follows sacrifice. And the rain follows the fire. That is the purpose of God throughout the scriptures. And so, dear child of God, do you have any hope of blessing today? Well, yes, because Calvary has occurred. Christ has died. God has spared not his own son. God has delivered up his son for us all. Therefore, the rain shall fall. And the blessing of God can come upon the people of God. No absence of rain. Because the fire fell upon the Son of God on Calvary. What a hope that is. You know, if we're expecting that we might be perfect before the rain can fall, we have no hope at all. But because Christ is perfect and his sacrifice is perfect without spot and blemish, then the rain can fall. We can expect God's blessing upon us. Already enjoyed and enjoyed tomorrow and the next day and the next day without that blessing ever feeling. It's an appropriate blessing. And finally and briefly, we'll come back to this this afternoon. It is an appointed blessing. Appointed blessing. There is a sound of abundance of rain. Again, it might have been Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday morning or maybe Wednesday. The men, as is often the case, they pray over these things. The sermon is preached and then the men pray over the sermon. It's really a blessing, helpful. And one of the men in their prayers, they were saying, what did Elijah hear? The sound of abundance of rain or in your margin it may say this, a sound of a noise of rain. The idea of noise and sound is used twice in the original. Sound of abundance of rain. What's the sound? Well, let me give you my idea. There wasn't a sound. He had already heard the sound. And the sound was the word of God in verse number one. The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Go show yourself on the Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. The sound of God's word is the sound of the abundance of rain. It's not some physical phenomenon. It's not some distant thunder that only Elijah's hearing capacity can understand and hear. No, it's the word of God that is the sound of rain. It's the promise of God. And so the blessing of God, it comes from God in his promises. Like what we saw just there now in 1 Kings chapter 8. Pray toward this place, and I will send rain. Verse number one, I will send rain upon the earth. But here, the appointed blessing of God is sure and certain. It cannot fail. And we can have faith in the word of God. We can have faith in the sound of the abundance of rain. But nonetheless... We see Elijah in verse number 42 
going to the top of Carmel, casting himself upon the earth and putting his face between his knees. What's he doing there? He's praying. The promises of God are certain. But God's promises produce prayer. They do not prevent prayer. We misuse the promises of God when we take them as they are and don't pray over them. We properly use the promises of God when we take those promises and plead them before God. You have said it, now do it. Elijah is used in the word of God, of course, as a supreme example of a praying man. And so I'll come back this afternoon and look at that example the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, a veil of much, Elijah prays. He prayed that it would not rain. It didn't rain. He prayed that it would rain and it does rain. His, his prayers are answered. But you see, his prayers are not just a man thinking to himself, it's maybe a good idea for no rain. And now it's a good idea for rain to fall. No, what we're seeing here, and, and it's in James chapter 5, we're not encouraged in James chapter 5 to pray for drought. We're being shown in James chapter 5 that the man of God praying the will of God gets the ear of God. It's about us praying the will of God that secures the blessing of God. And so Elijah does that. He prays over the word of the living God. And we can do the same with confidence. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer. In the will of God that we can pray over. God will give us the bread that we need to live today. Until it is God's will that we do not live today. We will have what we need in the purpose of God. Forgive us our sins. You're praying the promise of God. Dear unbeliever. Do you have the boldness? The brashness to say that if you ask God to forgive your sins, he won't hear your prayer. Do you believe that? Well, then you think you're smarter than God. God has told us in his will, pray, forgive us our sins. And he hears that prayer. Lead us not in temptation. May temptation not overcome me. May temptation not overwhelm me to the point that I fall away from the Lord. There are some in the church and they believe that they are designed to live continually under temptation. And there's never any victory over temptation. Pray the will of God and God is pleased to hear those prayers. And of course, having taken those latter three petitions in the personal area, think of the first three petitions in the kingdom area. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're praying in the will of God. The Lord has promised these things. We pray the promises of God in the expectation that God will hear our cries. So to close for now, our burden today surely is for God's blessing. But remember, Christ has already come. The Spirit has already poured it upon the church. That blessing is already yours. You are indeed under God, blessed of God. But yes, while that is true, at one and the same time, we long for day by day for new blessings. To know Christ daily. And to see the Spirit of God poured out upon his church in abundance. So you can take this text 
see it in its context biblically and at the same time say, Lord, send the blessing. Pour your blessing upon your church for the glory and honor of the name of your Son. May God help us to understand these things and to live in light of them, to be encouraged and expectant in troubling days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you'd help us to, again, carefully think through these things. We thank you, Lord, that we're living this side of Calvary and that we have the blessing of seeing your promises fulfilled, that Christ came as the rain upon the earth. We thank you he came as showers upon a dry ground. And there are many who now, they subscribe the name of God to be their God. We thank you, Lord, that we're part of that people that we've been brought into this covenant of peace where we're part of the fellowship of the saints redeemed by Christ's precious blood and so encourage our hearts today help us to continue to look to thee to look with expectation on further times of blessing and the and new fresh outpouring to the spirit of God revive your work we pray revive the church of God here encourage us and send forth revival upon this area where many souls will be gathered into the kingdom of God. O Lord, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. Strengthen our hearts today. Encourage us as we fellowship around the tables. Again, may our conversations be on dedication. We thank you for the food provided for us. You have indeed given us our daily bread, and we praise you and acknowledge your faithfulness in keeping your promises. Thou art the one true and living God. Your word is true and your word is sure. And we stand upon that confidence. And so encourage us throughout this day. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.